And that's it! Roma have risen from their ruins! Nonetheless, the Greek god in Rome! Switching for three goals, he's yes. What a finish! What a night for Northern Ireland! And what a night for David Hughes! Beckham, that is Beckham! That is Beckham, that is Beckham! That is Beckham! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the 4-4 View podcast. On this week's episode we've decided to put together somewhat of a dream team which can only include players that we've witnessed play football in person. Both avid followers of Northern Ireland national teams so we've seen a good few games at Windsor Park as well as a couple of other games too so it should make for a couple of interesting lineups but as well as that just to make it a bit more interesting uh, we've decided that a couple of players in the team can only be picked based on performance alone on the day. So there'll be a couple of players on there that maybe you won't expect to see in a lineup, in a, a normal World XI lineup. So I'll make it a bit more interesting, hopefully. So I think we'll just get straight into it then, Mark. And I'll just ask you who you've started with there, your keeper. Okay, well, starting off in my goalkeeper position, this one really goes without saying, doesn't need much of an explanation, but it's, of course, Manuel Neuer. I'd be very surprised if you haven't chosen him as well here, but if you have a quick look on his Wikipedia page, world's best goalkeeper, goalkeeper of the season, even goalkeeper of the decade, I noticed Aaron is having a look, so you name it, he's pretty much won it. Considered by many to still be the best goalkeeper in the world, and he's been integral to the success of a Bayern Munich team which have dominated domestically eight Bundesliga titles in a row over the past decade. Of course, they've won two Champions League titles in that time as well. Not only that, but he have captains the national team. And he, of course, won a World Cup back in 2014. Interestingly enough, I was intrigued to see how many people do rank him as the out-and-out best. So I had a look online there and I found a website which goes by the name of the International Federation of Football History and Statistics. And basically, they used a voting and ranking system to determine the best goalkeepers in the world between the years 1987 and 2020. So... The way that was done, they basically looked at these standings from an annual world ranking of goalkeepers between those years. Uh, They then allocated points to each goalkeeper based on where they finished in each year's top 20 best goalkeepers. So the total points each goalkeeper achieved throughout the period of 87 to 2020 were then accumulated to form a so-called all-time rank. Now, obviously, this all-time rank, it doesn't obviously include the likes of, for example, Lev Yashin, Gordon Banks and our very own Pat Jennings but as I said it's from 1987 onwards Neuer was actually ranked the fifth best between those what 33 years and he only came one point behind fourth place Edwin van der Sar top three probably picked themselves Buffon, Casillas and Petr Cech but I'd have to say of the goalkeepers Manuel Neuer's the out and out winner in that position for me yeah unsurprisingly I went for Manuel Neuer as well as you say it's a position that really picks itself uh, so seven times Bundesliga winner two times Champions League winner countless individual awards as well so yeah he is for me still the best goalkeeper in the world Um, I think a few years ago De Gea was starting to challenge him a bit but then in the past couple of seasons De Gea's dipped off quite badly in my opinion uh, and Neuer is back to his best again and back to comfortably the best in the world. Uh, makes big saves in big games continually. 
an integral part of that Bayern Munich team. Um, it's not just the individual awards and the statistics, and it's actually it's actually the way he sort of redefined that sweeper keeper rule uh, as well. Sort of coming out and with Bayern a high line that Bayern have become famous for playing. He sort of made that sweeper keeper rule his own and redefined it in modern games. So I think yeah, he has to be in there for me. Yeah, he's one of those keepers as well that you'd love to have him behind you as a centre half. You always sort of assured a bit of assurance behind you that in the chance that obviously the the opponent breaks through, that you know you've got him behind you between the sticks, and chances are he's going to make a save. Great to have behind you, and like you said, redefine that super keeper role. And you look at how many keepers nowadays try to emulate that. Obviously, the likes of Ter Stegen and Ederson come to mind as two that do it quite well. But I don't think any really challenge Manuel Neuer, even at 34 years old. He really shows no signs of stopping and still pulling off, like you said, big saves week in, week out for Bayern and still performing, obviously, at the highest level internationally as well. Um, so at least we're agreed on that one anyway. But we'll swiftly move on. Start at right back, Will. So go ahead. Who have you got at right back? So at right back, I have chosen, and this is my first performance-based pick, I've chosen uh, Cookstown's finest, Stuart Dallas. You could pinpoint really any number of Stuart Dallas performances for Northern Ireland, really, but I'm going to go for the recent home game against Holland in the Euro 2020 qualifiers. Obviously, that was a game that Northern Ireland needed to win to keep their automatic Euro 2020 hopes alive. And actually, it was Michael. It turned out to be Michael O'Neill's last game at Windsor Park, so it was symbolic in that way as well. But obviously, it didn't work out for Northern Ireland on the night. Finished 0 nil. Obviously, that Davis missed penalty, which we'll both remember, sadly. But I think on that night, Dallas it stood out for me just because... Just because of the amount of possession that he plays, he played right back. He's obviously he's played right back numerous times for Northern Ireland. He can play in any position you ask him to play. Really, I think the only position he hasn't played has been goalkeeper and maybe striker. And I think on that particular night, he must have played in about three or four different positions. And yeah, it was just incredible. He ran himself into the ground, emptied the tank, as they say. And yeah, just an unbelievable performance. He really stood out for me on that night. But as I say, you could pick numerous Stuart Dallas performances you could pick the hot on the way game where he's shown there as well and then I think even more notably the Bosnia the recent Bosnia away game in the in the playoff semi-final I think he was absolutely immense that night in my opinion actually one of the best performances I've seen from Northern Ireland player in recent years he must have covered every blade of grass and every bit of tarmac in Sarajevo that night like it was absolutely ridiculous what he done on that night and yeah one of Northern Ireland's comfortably top three best players of the past four or five years and certainly their most consistent performer for me. Yeah, 100%. I certainly can't go against that one. What a man, to be fair. Always plays with his, his heart in his sleeve and he's really came into his own as well this season, Premier League-wise, obviously with Leeds. He's getting the recognition that obviously we believe he's deserved for many years now, but yeah, it's great to see. And uh, Like I said, I certainly won't argue against that inclusion. Mine, however, it is also kind of based on performance I was kind of torn between this one I was going to go obviously for Trent Alexander-Arnold however the player that I have gone for Joshua Kimmich of course he's now established himself as a midfielder uh, seen him play three times the first time was at the Euro 2016 in France when Northern Ireland played uh, Germany we did lose that day 1-0 and Joshua Kimmich was absolutely immense on the right side he was up and down that pitch 90 minutes um, his delivery is was unbelievable that day I remember and he was always a threat always found himself in space and one of those players that 
you'd need to double up on him every time and he'll still find a way to beat you or put a delivery into the box. Like I said, he's kind of establishing himself now as a central midfielder. It says a lot about himself as a player because he's obviously famously played at centre half in the past as well for Bayern. But I do remember him as well distinctly putting in a, uh, an incredible performance alongside Tony Cruz in a Euro 2020 qualifier um, at Windsor Park quite recently. Now, obviously, I did mention Trent earlier. He likely will go on to establish himself as probably the best in that position uh, now that Kimmich has sort of transitioned into that midfield role. However, it's arguable that you consider Kimmich world-class in two positions. In his first three seasons at Bayern, he played half of his first season at centre-half. In the second season, 23 out of his 38 appearances at central midfield. And then what really sort of solidified him as a right-back was in his third season, the season that Philip Lamb also retired. He played 44 of his 46 appearances at right-back. So many thought that Kimmich was a sure sort of fit to replace Lamb, and he did actually assist 17 times as well from that right-back position. Just kind of moving on to the sort of player he is now, so like I said, he's transitioned to that midfield role. Arguably, I'd say one of the first names on the Bayern and the Germany team sheet as sort of like that, shall we say, a defensive midfield sort of linchpin-style player. Um, he's viewed obviously primarily as defensive minded but his ability to obviously pick out a pass and score goals has resulted in some frankly outrageous assists especially this season I think there's a couple of games he's assisted two or three times for Bayern this season and in my opinion he's the complete midfielder but for the sake of this sort of debate I would have him down as my right back so yeah from this season four goals 13 assists from midfield so much ability and wherever he plays he's like a radar I would say he's always kind of looking around him and he's always he's so intelligent yeah that's my choice for right back yeah also similar to similar to Dallas he's like a very versatile type player on in the same way that I think Bielsa has helped to move Dallas on to another level this season I think Guardiola was integral and not sort of with Kimmich in terms of making him the versatile player that he is allowing to play obviously right back anywhere across the midfield so yeah just I think Guardiola was sort of integral and in helping Kimmich to become the player that he is today yeah certainly um, centre half then I'll let you go first again who have you got as your two centre halves so this centre back partnership I think you'll find very hard to argue this one so my centre halves are Virgil van Dijk and Giorgio Cialini saw Van Dijk play in, uh, again in the Northern Ireland game and there was that 0-0 at Windsor Park I was just talking about there and obviously we're, he sort of puts himself in the team at the minute I know he's out injured but he's probably if he's not injured he's the best centre back in the world at the minute obviously Champions League winner Premier League winner key part of that Liverpool team that won the league PFA Player of the Year 2018-2019 UEFA Team of the Year uh, in 2018-2019 and 2020 and of course Ballon d'Or runner up in 2019 to Messi as well so yeah just whenever you see him live whenever I saw him live at Windsor Park it just obviously he's a great defender he's everything you need for a centre half he's got height pace power leadership abilities but it, it was his, his comfortable nature sort of on the ball at Windsor Park that impressed me obviously that's a key part of any modern day centre back is you have to be able to pass the ball out from the back you have to be able to get the ball and back to front quickly and I think that really stood out for me when I was watching it when I was watching Van Dijk uh, at Windsor Park just clear to see that why he is the best at what he does and so yeah he was someone someone that really impressed me and uh, just an easy pick 
and then someone who's still doing it at the top level, still one of the best defenders in the world as well, in my opinion, at 36 years of age, Giorgio Cellini. I saw him in a, I think it was a Euro 2012 qualifier at Windsor Park back in, I think it was 2011. Yeah, just absolutely immense. Again, everything you need in a centre half. I think a dying breed of like old school centre backs that just no nonsense, is prepared to put a tackle in, organisational skills, leadership. Um, you wouldn't say maybe he's as comfortable on the ball as a Van Dyke, but just everything you need to to play that position. I think uh, one of his former managers, Walter Mazzari, used to be Napoli manager. I think he famously said about him, he can mark three players by himself. Nine times Serie A winner, UEFA Team of the Year in 2017. And he's been in the Serie A Team of the Year multiple times, so that's my centre-back pairing. Yeah, fair. That's uh, Chiellini compliments Van Dyke quite well there, in fairness. Yeah, because obviously you have the you just have the the pure defensive ability of Cialini, then you have Van Dyke. You can obviously co- compensate for maybe Cialini's lack of pace and his maybe lack of ball playing skills as well. Yeah, well, unsurprisingly, I too have Virgil Van Dyke. Similar to yourself, seen him obviously at that Euro twenty twenty qualifier. First time I seen him play was actually at the Community Shield final twenty nineteen at Wembley. It was Liverpool versus Man City. And I just remember being in absolute awe of the sheer size of the man that day. He's an absolute unit, uh, colossus, shall we say. Yeah. But it's incredible. Like you said, he's so composed, calm on the ball. No one looks like they're ever going to beat him. Like He obviously went that uh, incredible 65 games across all competitions there a couple of seasons ago where nobody dribbled past him. And I believe it was the 2018-2019 season. He had a 74% tackle success rate in the league, which uh, in all honesty is it's absolute madness but yeah he's, he's really kind of come into his own since he's moved to Liverpool obviously there's so much sort of talk around that transfer and sort of on and off for so long And but the kind of he's taken Liverpool to that next level and obviously you can see how much they're missing him especially this season alongside him I have Rio Ferdinand so obviously as a United fan I can't really leave him out one of our best and most successful centre-backs in the entire club's history over 450 appearances 12 seasons at the club at the time he cost 30 million uh, it was from Leeds in July 2002 and what a bargain that ended up being it was actually I believe a transfer fee record um, for a defender at the time obviously he won 6 Premier League titles at United 3 in a row between 2006, 7 and 08, 9 he captained United in the 07, 08 season whilst Gary Neville was out of injury and famously captained us on that night in Moscow in 2008 which once again I'll, I'll not sort of discuss too much of you love to keep bringing that up <laughs> has to be done mate uh, but yeah he formed obviously a massive part of what many consider to be United's greatest ever team um, even in comparison to that team of the late 90s treble winners of 99 and that United team obviously from those three seasons had such international superstars the likes of Tevez, Ronaldo uh, but Rio Ferdinand was he's incredible obviously alongside Nemanja Vidic I would say potentially one of the if not the best um, centre back duo in, in Premier League history I'm sure you'd maybe uh, Terry Terry Carvalho I'd maybe have an, have an, I'd have an argument there like, but yeah I was just about to make that point that you'd probably go for the likes of Terry and Carvalho but all I will say is that they had Claude Makalele was so good they got named a role after him in front of him whereas uh, Rio and Vidic had sort of more out and out sort of central midfielders the likes of Carrick Skulls but we'll say more on that Obviously, those two went a record 11 games, nearly four months, I think it was, of Premier League football without conceding a goal. Obviously, he's went on to establish himself now in the world of punditry, but yeah, a big fan of Rio Ferdinand. 
uh, great career and easily gets in my 11. Yeah, that's that's a strong centre. I think we've both got two strong centre back pairings there as well. Um, so I think just moving on to the the left back position, then this was quite a sort of a tough choice for me because I had two real main ones. I had um, Jordi Alba, who I saw the watch Barcelona play uh, a couple of years back. He actually scored that day as well. So I had him. And then another one I had in mind was Gilly Blind, who was normally played not. Um, that 0-0 at Windsor Park for Holland. So obviously, uh, Blind sort of made his name uh, in that 2014 World Cup with Holland. He was obviously, he was immense in that in Holland's run to the semi-finals. And then whenever Van Hal went to United after that World Cup, uh, he brought him there. And I th- actually thought he was quite good for United in those couple of seasons he was there. And obviously an integral part of that Ajax team that went to the, the Champions League semi-finals a couple of years back before losing to Tottenham. So... He was another one I had in mind, but Jordi Alba, five times La Liga champion, uh, won the Champions League, won the European Championship with Spain. He joined Barca 2011. He joined after uh, Guardi would have left uh, and then became an integral part of that uh, Luis Enrique Barcelona side, obviously with the famous MSN partnership up front. And he actually cost eleven point two million pounds, which is a bit of a bargain in my opinion. He's thirty one now and maybe he's coming toward the ends a bit, but he's still a great left back. He's been basically immovable in that left back position for Barcelona for the past number of years. In their eight years, made over three hundred and fifty appearances, eighteen goals, seventy four assists, which is quite impressive for a left back. Now you can maybe question his his defensive ability at times, but I think in terms of energy speed and pace as an attacking left back he's right up there uh, or certainly has been right up there for the the past number of years and then obviously he's become famous for those those sort of late runs into the box as well from left back and chipping in goals for Barcelona as well so yeah last year I decided to go with a left back yeah great pick he was very nearly my pick as well however one that stuck out for me Again, I'll try to keep my United bias to a minimum throughout this, but not other than obviously Patrice Evra. The first time I actually seen him was, believe it or not, at Harry Gregg's testimonial at Windsor Park. Whenever a few United players, it wasn't the full squad, but a few of them came over and played an Irish League Select 11. I remember Evra played that day. I think he might have actually scored as well. But yeah, again, a United legend, part of such a great team that won so much. Five Premier League trophies, Champions League, so many other team and individual awards, nine seasons as a club, nearly 400 appearances, got in the PFA Team of the Year uh, three times and was actually included in the 2009, I think it was, FIFA Pro World 11 and UEFA Team of the Year. Another sort of fullback bought for a low price, only 5.5 million in 2006 from Monaco, as far as I'm aware. Same transfer window as Nemanja Vidic, who was also another bargain. I actually haven't seen him play, so he didn't get into my team, but ever considered by many is one of if not the best Premier League left back probably alongside the likes of obviously Ashley Cole and probably stick Dennis Irwin in there as well but yeah Patrice Ever again bit of a United bias but that's my choice for left back it's fair enough that's two good picks on left back there so move on then shall we to right midfield what are you playing 4-4-2 four, 4-3-3 four, four, three, three? well I, I'm going for a 4-3-3 three, three, so okay. I have a deep line midfielder and then two sort of left midfielder the right midfielder. Okay, I'll start in my I'll start right midfield then. I'm playing a four four two. So this man's inclusion really goes without saying, but I kinda wanted to focus this one on an individual performance the day I seen him. Of course Lionel Messi. 
Uh, there's no real point discussing his career or highlight moments. We'll be here all day. Like I said, I'll, I'll mention the performance on the day I've seen him play, which you'll obviously be familiar with, was the game against Huesca, September 2018 at the Camp Nou. Huesca, I think it was their first season in La Liga. Uh, it was a bit of a baptism of fire, really. 8-2 the game ended, so we certainly got our money's worth for that ticket. But yeah, Messi on the day could have had a hat-trick, ended up scoring two, assisted two, gave that last-minute penalty to Suarez, who was in a... Yeah, I saw I saw him for game Suarez for that. Yeah, I know Suarez was in, robbed us of a messy hat trick. Yeah, exactly. Imagine, but he was in Suarez was in a rotten run of form leading up to that, I believe. So, Messi and Suarez being best mates, obviously Messi gave him the penalty. He did score it in the end, but it's a shame. You would love to see Messi get the hat trick. Um, for the first goal, he dribbled past I believe a couple of players in the edge of the box. He then sent one of their defenders for hot dogs, left him on the ground spun him inside out beat a couple more and then stuck it through the legs of one of their other defenders cross goal bottom corner and then there was I think do you remember he got really close to scoring a free kick from about 30 yards just kind of drifted over the bar yeah, yeah. Away. he then yeah. assisted Rakitic with a trademark Messi sort of dinked ball from the edge of the 18 yard box sent there a goal took out three other players with one ball and uh, Rakitic great finish on the so half volley from what I remember yeah, yeah on the volley. cross goal thumped yeah. it home his second goal was in how oh, he's never going to miss it. I think he's played one on one about into the final third of Huesca's half, stuck it across the keeper, bottom corner, and then he assisted Jordi Alba, as you mentioned, for the seventh goal in the night, I believe. And yeah, as we mentioned, handed Suarez a penalty would have been a hat trick, but yeah, what more can you say? I didn't want to kind of get into too much of his kind of career, but based on that individual performance, I mean, he would have got into the team anyway, even if he had a stinker that night, but he played out of his skin, which is great to see, so that's my choice for right midfield. Yeah, I think that's, that's an easy one. For that formation you're playing anyway, I think Messi has to, has to go in there. But for my choice of... Well, because my formation is different, I'm just going to start off with my deep line midfielder because I've played a, a 4-3-3, so this is such a tough one because I've seen so many great, like, sort of midfielders play uh, St. Busquets, Cruz, Pjanic, Rakitic, Frankie De Jong, De Rossi, Royce, Jorginho even as well. Uh, so this is a really tough one for me but the man I've decided to go for is none other than Andrea Pirlo. After Messi, comfortably the best player I've ever seen play live. He's made that deep line playmaker real uh, really did whenever he was playing he made that deep line playmaker role his own really again one of the best passers the ball I've ever seen free kick specialist as well I think he's actually scored the highest number of free kicks in Serie A multiple Serie A winner two times Champions League winner 2006 World Cup winner I think he was actually the man of the match in that final as well yeah, so I, I saw him in a game at Windsor Park. Again, I think it was a Euro 2012 qualifier. Uh, Northern Ireland against Italy. And yeah, it was honestly just a privilege to watch him. Controlled and orchestrated the game by himself. Just through the passing. Everything just went through him in the midfield. One of the coolest players under pressure I've ever seen as well. I remember because this game was at the old the old Windsor Park. And I was in the railway stand and... Remember, obviously, at that old Windsor Park, fans were like quite close to the players whenever they were like coming to take corners and stuff. And I remember Pierdo like taking a corner at one point, and there's this big massive fella like sitting behind him, just bellowing at him, like the type of fella like 
some questionable tattoos. Pretty much the type of fella you wouldn't want to meet down a South Belfast alleyway. Put it like that. Just absolutely bellowing abuse at him. And uh, yeah, he just he just snarled, said there like, and what? It just means nothing. Like, I've won a World Cup. means nothing to me. So yeah, just won't look like the coolest players under pressure I've ever seen. Other moments as well. You remember that ship against uh, Joe Hart in the Euro? It was, it was in the Euro 2012 and the, the penalty shootout against England, the quarter final. Joe Hart's getting on the big in, sticking his tongue out, trying to put him off as much as possible. And Piero just goes and chips it down the middle. Not even like, just, it barely goes over the line, just sort of dinks it straight down the middle and just trickles over the line. So that was special as well. And uh, this is one of my favourite quotes. I think I've ever seen football. He so he said himself, "I don't feel the pressure. I spent the afternoon of Sunday, July the ninth, two, Sunday, July the ninth, two thousand six in Berlin, sleeping and playing the PlayStation. In the evening, I went out and won the World Cup. So yeah, that just shows you everything. That tells you everything you know about the man. Just oozes class, composure, and yeah, just a joy to watch that day as well." Yeah, sheer class, and I believe he didn't. He started early stages of his career. He started more of an attacking midfielder, didn't he? And then it was kind of as he went on a bit, he sort of yeah, dropped into I think that. Sort of, when he went to Milan under Ancelotti, I think he was sort of he was integral and in pushing them back in the last sort of deep line playmaker role. And yeah, yeah, he never looked back since really. Yeah, famously Milan let him go, which is probably one of their worst decisions in recent history. Obviously, went on to Juventus and again just Sean he was incredible for them and obviously they've dominated Serie A recently but he was he was great in their midfield for the, the years he was there and yeah like, he just like a fine wine as well he's so so good even at the latter stages of his career you couldn't knock him fantastic yeah unbelievable player yeah was one of my favourite players ever actually so it was just great to actually get to see him play live in Windsor Park that was an unbelievable experience yeah, um, I'll move on to one of my central midfielders then, who is also one of my favourite players ever, Tony Cruz, believe it or not. So, just again, he's one of them sort of deep line sort of playmaker roles. He'll pick a pass, always available for it, and yeah, he's so good going forward, like breaks lines so well, playing players into the channels and stuff like that. So composed, always available for a pass. Anytime I've seen him, so I've seen him for first time at Euro 2016, and then obviously a couple more times anytime Germany have came to. Uh, playoffs over the past few years and every time he plays it's so effortless on the ball like I said and uh, pick a pass like like few others that I've seen in in, uh, in person anyway of course he's won so much obviously with both Bayern and Real Madrid and uh, he's a staple been a staple sorry in the German national team for about a decade now and as well he's only 31 as well so realistically you'd say he probably has another few seasons at a high level um, especially as he's that sort of conservative type of player he's not the type that's going to be making gut-wrenching runs up and down the pitch for 90 minutes but yeah he just makes the game look so easy and like I said one of my favourite players ever and almost privileged to have seen him live yeah it was difficult for me to leave Cruz out a lot obviously playing the 4-3-3 free free formation it was difficult for me to leave Cruz out a lot just a playmaker position I think he plays so well there and also I've seen him play live as well so I know his quality but I couldn't not leave Pierre out, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> Fair enough. Who else have you got then, centre midfield? So, alongside Pierre I've decided to go for uh, N'Golo Kante, someone I've seen play live back in 2019 and went over to see a Chelsea game. So, obviously, World Cup winner, Premier League winner, 
integral to Leicester's title winning season. Obviously one of the greatest underdog stories in football. And also one of the Premier League's uh, greatest ever bargain buys. I think he's bought for an estimated 5.6 million. That's what Leicester paid to bring him from Cannes, I think it was, in the French League. So one of the greatest bargains I think I've ever seen in the Premier League. And I know people maybe argue about his form recently, but he's still one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the world, in my opinion, when he's played in the right position. Made the most tackles in Europe's top leagues in back-to-back seasons. 2014-15 and 2015-16 now if you're doing it in one season it's pretty impressive if you're doing it across two consecutive seasons that's something pretty special so yeah, I've decided to go with him in there and obviously there's been a lot of debate around Kante's best position in recent seasons that sort of started never sorry took over Chelsea and he sort of played the right of a midfield free and I know the sort of debates is Kante playing free in midfield or is he better in the midfield too and sort of 4-4-2 formation I know there's been a lot of sort of comparisons to Mac- Claude McAlealy when he was at Chelsea I think that those are sort of quite lazy comparisons because McAlealy was a type of player who sat in front of the defence and helped build the play uh, out from the back at times for his passing because he used to be a winger at another stage of his career whereas Kante is a more sort of energetic type player uh, who can shuttle up and down the pitch and defend the front foot and they can join in attacks at the time as well so I do really think they're two similar type of players at all the similarity ends in the fact that they both played midfield for Chelsea and that's about it so whilst playing midfield free may not be his best role I have possession there to the next to Pirlo because he could do well in that sort of midfield with uh, Pirlo I'll never reveal who I've put beside him I think it'll work well in midfield free that I've selected uh, so I'll just let Piero do the passing, do all the, the creative work and then can't they? I'll just put out the fires that he's, he's so good at doing in the middle of that midfield. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a common misconception. A lot of people kind of view Kante as just a sort of defensive midfielder and nothing more, but his box-to-box qualities and abilities, for me anyway, I'd label him as a bit more of a sort of box-to-box midfielder. I know he works quite well in that sort of double pivot role alongside someone who's maybe more of an out-and-out sort of defensive style of a midfielder but yeah in fairness I can't really argue against that one great player and obviously World Cup winner as well um, with France there a couple of years ago yeah and was immense that season with Leicester obviously likes of Vardy and Mahrez stuck out alongside him but I would say the star of that team was probably Kante whenever you watch him live whenever I saw him live at Stamford Bridge like, you can see his work rate just up and down the pitch like he's such a selfless player yeah, it was, it was an easy pick for me in that position, especially the formation I'm playing. Fair enough. So in my second centre midfield position, obviously next to Tony Cruz, I'm going for Kevin De Bruyne. So again, seen him play at that Community Shield game at Wembley a couple of years back. Wasn't amazing on the day by sort of his standards of performance, but for what he's done over the past number of years in the Premier League, in my opinion, he's probably top three players in the world right now and arguably the best player in the Premier League and certainly the best midfielder in the world at the moment. Uh, When he's playing, everything that City do good goes through him and there's obviously that potential that City could go ahead and win um, every trophy that they're in this season and I would say he, again, would be integral to them doing so. Last season, probably one of his best ever, if not the best ever, 33 goal contributions in 35 Premier League games equaled Thierry Henry's assist record for a single Premier League season. 
and over nearly six seasons in the Premier League with Man City, um, his expected assists, or XA as it's known, per 90 minutes is 0.5, which effectively means that with the style of chances that he creates and has been creating throughout his Premier League career, you would expect him to assist at least once every two games. Now that's on the basis of him playing the full 90 minutes, but that says it all really. You can expect assists from him once every two games. and Obviously maybe one concern would be his sort of injury record. He tends to miss a few games every year, but a fit Kevin De Bruyne, in my opinion, no one matches him. Not even the Premier League, but like I said, across the world. Again, another player who's got so many individual accolades, probably hasn't quite won the amount of trophies that he deserves. But PFA Players Player of the Year last season, got Premier League Player of the Season, and uh, FIFA Pro World Eleven inclusion. Even before he went to City, he was incredible. So that 14-15 season, he held the record for uh, the most assists in a Bundesliga season whilst at Wolfsburg. It was only surpassed there by Thomas Müller last season, but obviously you look at Müller and a Bayern Munich team that has Robert Lewandowski in front of him, whereas that season De Bruyne had the likes of Nicholas Bentner and Bas Dost, so say no more about that. But like I said, if City go on to win every competition that they're currently competing in, which many believe they will do, expect De Bruyne to be key in that. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that one. I'd agree with you. He's probably probably the best midfielder in the world at the minute. And you talked about there earlier, Juventus, or sorry, AC Milan and Pirlo being one of the worst pieces of business in football. I think Chelsea letting Kevin De Bruyne go, or maybe more Mourinho deciding to let Kevin De Bruyne go, must be one of the worst pieces of business in football as well for what he's gone on to become. That's one I'm quite disappointed about as a Chelsea fan. But yeah, no, another great player that, Fortunately, I haven't had the privilege of seeing him play live, but so much quality on the ball. You can pick out a pass from anywhere, long range shooting. He'll track back as well in midfield, and he'll do the dirty side as well, which I don't think a lot of people appreciate. So, yeah, just the complete midfielder, and yeah, as I say, the best in the world for me, anyway. Certainly. Go ahead then, let's hear your final one in the midfield. Yeah, so alongside Pirlo in the midfield, uh, and again, this is one I've went for solely based on performance. And Swan will probably surprise a lot of people, but I've gone for Dejan Stankovic, who played for Serbia against Northern Ireland in uh, again it was Euro twenty twelve qualifier back in twenty eleven. Now whenever you're talking about like the sort of best the best midfielders of the recent times, he isn't really talked about or even considered, but He's actually an incredibly highly decorated player, a six-time Serie A winner, won the Champions League, Serbia Player of the Year two times, and he's an Inter Milan Hall of Fame. And he was obviously a key part of that Inter Milan 2009-2010 winning team under Jose Mourinho that won the Champions League. Played in that midfield uh, alongside Cambiasso. I think it was uh, him and uh, Thiago Mata sort of used to alternate, Mourinho used to alternate between them in games depending on the on the opposition. Also another interesting stat, which I found out when I was doing research, uh, only player ever to represent three nations at the World Cup. So he's represented Yugoslavia, and then Serbia and Montenegro, and also Serbia, whenever Serbia and Montenegro was split into two different countries. So that is something interesting that I found out. But I'm uh, I'm just going off the performance he gave uh, against Northern Ireland that night whenever Serbia won 1-0. He just dominated the midfield in that game. Bossed it, passing, ball retention, tackling, supporting strikers, obviously utilising his famous uh, long range shooting ability at times as well. Of course, a lot of people maybe remember that goal he scored against Schalke, where he, he volleyed it from nowhere, came out, headed it, and then 
it felled him and he volleyed it in from the halfway line which is absolutely unbelievable goal one of the best long range goals I've seen but yeah and if I'm watching a game at Windsor Park where Stephen Davis isn't controlling midfield or isn't sort of orchestrating play I know that A either Northern Ireland are playing a very good team or B they're facing a very good midfielder and on that day Stankovic just sort of sort of shone for me and in his career he was primarily an attacking midfielder uh, but he could also track back in a defensive midfield role as well and uh, protect the defence too he was quite versatile so that's why I'm, I'm playing him alongside uh, Kante and Pirlo I let Kante sort of be the more box to box guy Pirlo will do all the passing and then Stankovic will just sort of do the defensive work so that's who I've gone for in opposition Fair play, bit of a rogue one. I can't say I was expecting that, but uh, great inclusion all the same. Yeah, it's just something a bit different. And um, but no, I think we'll move on to the the front, the front three then, the front two. Yeah, well, I'll do my I'll do my left midfielder to complete. Oh, my yeah, midfield, you've no midfielder, and then yeah. if you want to do if you want to do your wingers, and then we'll do the strikers. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Okay, so at left midfield, uh, only because I have two striker picks. And I still needed to obviously get him in the team. Another one, summer day, other wing. Uh, we'll not talk about his career because again we'll be here all night. Cristiano Ronaldo. So I've seen him score his first ever international hat trick. Uh, that was whenever Portugal came to Windsor Park for a World Cup qualifier back in 2013. And I remember actually just sitting in the the lower again. It was the old Windsor Park this time. So at that point, the railway stand was uh, it was one of them sort of once it's constructed and taken away and. I think the the cop was being, or the the south stand I think was being redone at this time, uh, but I remember sitting in the lower lower north stand towards the sort of railway end. Uh, just remember take, sitting in my seat beside my dad and just like watching him warm up. And even at that stage, I was absolutely starstruck. Never mind whenever the match kicked off. But uh, his first goal was to draw Portugal. We went two one up actually, two goals from set pieces, and then he drew them level two two. Great header from a corner. Typical Ronaldo, like leaps like a salmon, and um, fires into the bomb corner. His second as another header from what I remember. I think it was a cross from Fabio Coentrão. Again, got up, heads it in, and then his his hat trick goal was from a free kick. I think he drilled it below the wall, bottom corner. Um, and I remember celebration for that final goal being quite emphatic to say the least. So Northern Ireland fans typically trying to wind him up, chanting Messi's name throughout the ninety minutes. I can't say I was doing the same, but. Uh, many people were and obviously he goes ahead and scores a hat-trick and he ran off giving it the big time to the Northern Ireland fans who'd obviously been trying to get in his head all game and I think if anything that probably just fueled him on and walked out of there like obviously disappointed that we lost but just a memory I'll never forget seeing a player who grew up watching has been my favourite player probably for as long as I've been watching football or at least as long as I've had a, a proper interest in it yeah and still doing it now 36 years old fingers crossed get to see him maybe another time before he he hangs up the boots who knows when that'll be but yeah like I said a memory that'll uh, live long in my head and I've seen the great man play in person yeah I think, I think I was actually supposed to go that game and then for some reason I didn't I can't remember why but some of my all-time biggest regrets is, is not not going to that game but yeah he's the type of player similar to Messi if you've seen him live you can't you can't not include him and you may see horned him in a bit there into the into your midfield, but he has to be in there. Like you can't you can't not put him in. In his early stages of career, whenever um, United had obviously Rooney and Van Nistelrooy played sort of that wide midfield role rather than the winger role. So 
on the basis of that, like like you said, I've sort of shoehorned them in, but couldn't leave them out, and I, I'd like to think I couldn't leave the two strikers out either. But we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So moving on then to my front three and the four three three formation. We'll start off at the left side, centre forward, left forward, and yeah, this is another quite out there pick, but. I've gone for uh, Paddy McCourt. You might remember his performance against the Faroe Islands in 2011 at Windsor Park. I think it was his his first competitive start for Northern Ireland as well in that game, Euro 2012 qualifier. I think it's been like roughly seven years since he made his debut in a friendly against Spain. And then he was getting his chance, chance again under uh, Nigel Worthington. But yeah, he scored two goals and... The first one was good, but the second one is the one that people remember. One of the best goals I've ever seen at Windsor Park. Probably you'd say one of the best ones ever scored there. I mean, it's not it's not often you see a Northern Ireland player do what he done on that night. He just strolled past three or four players uh, and just chipped the keeper from, from that left wing position. So, yeah, obviously a special, 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 special player on his day and was... It was a privilege to get to see him play that night, and it wasn't just it wasn't just the, the goals he scored. It was the sort of energy he created that night as well within the stadium. Whenever he collected the ball, there was sort of a every time I got the ball, everyone sort of stood up like expecting something to happen. Like there was a feeling of excitement around Windsor Park that you don't really get very often. And yeah, just a special special performance, and uh, it was just a privilege to get to see him play live. Uh, he only actually played 18 times for, for Northern Ireland, which is absolutely criminal in my opinion. He played that should have played a lot more. I know you could argue that maybe his club career wasn't you know as stellar as you would expect it to be, but at the end of the day, you look for Northern Ireland over the years, the amount of players that have played for have played for the national side despite the fact they haven't um they haven't shown for their clubs. So I think with the, the amount of natural ability that he possesses. He should have played a lot more games for Northern Ireland. I don't think actually Northern Ireland has a player like him. Probably, in terms of just pure natural ability, probably since George Best. And they certainly haven't had a player like him since. And you see sort of a lot of similarities there with Best. Sort of, not just in the way he looked when he was younger. He sort of had the long hair and he had the beard. And he sort of had a bit of, sort of charisma about him. But obviously he had that natural ball, ball talent as well that Best had. But... As well as that, he, he liked to drink as well. From from the stories I've heard, he's a type of player that he, he enjoyed the, the finer side of life too, much like Bess. So there's lots of comparisons there when you're looking at the two. So yeah, that was just uh, one that stuck out of my mind in terms of a, a special performance that really stood out for me. He's more of an out-and-out winger, but I'm going to put him at the left side of the the free at the front of my formation. Yeah, great shot. Remember that that goal was incredible, wasn't it? Something else. Did the rounds obviously on Sky Sports and all after and it's a shame he didn't really go on to sort of establish himself a bit more in the Northern Ireland squad from there on out. He was very sort of bit part appearances and stuff like that here and there. As you mentioned, he'd so much potential and talent and he could have done a lot more of his career. He's just one of them classic what could have been players, you know what I mean? It's like another like a a Delta Rapt or a you know, one of those type yeah. players. You think if he'd maybe just applied himself a bit more, or if certain things had, if he took a different path, or certain things had gone his way, maybe things would have been different. Yeah. And it was actually quite sad towards the end. He was he was going to be in Michael O'Neill's squad for Euro twenty sixteen, 
but then he had to end up pulling out at the end because his his wife had fallen ill, so he had to go home and obviously tend to her. So I think that would have been a great story if he you got to see him play at Euro twenty sixteen, a player of his quality and ability. But obviously, sadly, it wasn't to be. But yeah, just a player that you just wonder. You know what? What could have been? Yeah, definitely. I think he had a few few years at Celtic, and he's quite highly sort of thought of there. Apart from that, all I really remember of him is, I think his career sort of teetered out a bit at Finn Harps. I think it might have been as his last. Yeah, club. He's, well, he's retired now. But that's where that's where he finished. That was he got that move to Celtic. I think he was supposed to maybe be joining West Brom in the Premier League, and then he got a call from Celtic last minute. It's like obviously that was the club he supported, so he ended up going there. And I think he had, a, he had maybe one or two good seasons there, and I think maybe I think in the end he sort of fell out with Gordon Strachan, who was manager at the time, because again back to maybe lack of work rate and not working back enough and that sort of side of things, I ended up sort of not just coming to a natural conclusion at Celtic, and then I'm trying to think where he ended up after that. I think it was maybe in the English Championship, maybe with Barnsley or something like that, and then. From then on, his career just sort of teetered out a bit. Yeah, and you're right what you say as well. We don't really have a sort of player like him or haven't really seen one since. It's sort of something that we miss a bit. We have a, the biggest likeness I could sort of compare him to would potentially be Jordan Jones. We haven't really seen enough of him. But yeah. he's the kind of type of player that we'll have now who kind of gets the fans on the edge of their seats, kind of direct, runs at people, can beat a man, very similar to McCourt. But Jordan Jones has been in the press lately for all the wrong reasons and his career's kind of stalled at Rangers but yeah I think Northern Ireland have had good wingers like over the years they've had obviously the likes of Keith Gillespie you're talking with Jordan Jones there you direct players that will run and get a players but I don't think we've had player a player since Paddy McCourt who really has that like sort of touch of magic about him where when he gets the ball you, you're nearly expecting something to happen or you could do something they'll just change the course of a game I got something that Obviously, Northern Ireland has struggled with for a long time, and that's why, as I say, I guess Cremel he, he didn't play more times for the national yeah, team. Struggling with that, and then of course someone to stick the ball in the net, but we'll not get to that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so do you want to go ahead with your right wing, and then we'll do strikers? Yeah. Well, I think you know who who this is going to be as yeah. my right side centre forward. It's obviously it's Messi. Uh, as you said, what more? What more is there to say about Messi? One of the best players of all time. Obviously, that's a debate for another day, but won the La Liga 10 times, Champions League 4 times, Ballon d'Or 6 times, EFL Team of the Year every year since 2008, European Golden Shoes 6 times. Only thing missing is that World Cup, obviously, which some people say needs to be regarded as one of the best ever. I mean, not in my opinion anyway. I don't I don't, I don't, don't subscribe to that argument at all. But Not at all. Um, no. The only real debate is wh- where you play him, really. Obviously, he's played on the right side and attacking free. He started his career off at Barcelona under Rijkaard. That was where he played. And then, uh, more famously recently, in that MSN partnership, he played in the right side of the three up front too. And then Guardiola, he played in that false nine rule. Uh, he's sort of the false striker rule, if you want to call it. Uh, he's famous there. But, yeah, I've decided to, to play him on the, the right side of that attacking three because... I don't think it really matters where you play Messi. He's going to be effective anyway. So yeah, just get him in the team. Doesn't matter. Worry about the rest later. Absolutely. Yeah, spot on. Again, like we could, we could probably do a whole episode just talking about Messi. And yeah, I don't know about you, but just having watched him on TV for so many years, and then finally that day, a few years, well, a couple of years ago now in Barcelona, getting to see in person was just it's so over, almost overwhelming. 
I don't know how you felt about it, but it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was. I think we were all like, we were both like nervous. Just he's gonna be in the team. Like we didn't. We were just yeah. like all yeah. like just leading up that match. We were just like praying there wasn't gonna be a last minute injury or he's gonna be left yeah. out for some ridiculous reason. So yeah, it's just a sigh of relief when you look at the team seat and he was he was actually there and we we're gonna get to see him live. Yeah, not only that, but he was as I touched on earlier. He was really good that night as well. So it's great to see. Yeah. Right. Shall we? Move on to strikers then. So obviously I've got two. You've got one. I'll go ahead with my first one here. Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to the same person in here. You think so? Right, okay. Well, I have, I have a feeling. I'll, I'll start off with the one I don't think you have, which is Wayne Rooney. His inclusion in my team, once again, I don't need to justify it as a United fan. I mean, he's won everything that he could have won with United, both domestically and uh, European-wise. Obviously, he's now our top scorer. You really are shameless, aren't you, with these United players? Like, I'm sur- uh, Yeah, well, I'm surprised you haven't stuck a few more Chelsea boys in there. But I'm sure. thinking about the greater good of the team, mate. It's, I mean, it's hard to leave out these boys who have dominated English football for years, but to be fair, I could have added a couple more. I'll get to one of them in the notable mentions, but um, yeah, there's no way I'm leaving Wayne Rooney out of this. So, no, 253 Man United goals in all competitions. Obviously, 550 United appearances. If he was there, 13 seasons. Not only that, he's England's second highest cap player and their top goal scorer. 53 goals over his 15 year international career. Um, obviously, he was known mainly for his goal scoring, but throughout his career, he played striker. Obviously, he played second striker. Most famously in that season, the United won their 20th league title. Obviously, attacking midfield, even centre mid, centre mid, sorry, in the sort of latter stages. He won 16 competitions playing for United, five Premier Leagues, Champions League. He also got the Europa League, FA Cup, countless sort of community shields and um, League Cup stuff like that. Also has the most Premier League goal scored for one club. And another one whose individual accolades just speak for themselves. So he reached double figures for goals in Premier League season 12 times, which is a record. Uh, he just knew back in the day whenever Rooney turned up, shaved head, gloves on, that AIG kit with the long sleeves. Game over before it even before started. Transplant. Yeah, before the air transplant. Um, yeah, he obviously burst onto the scene. He was only 16, playing for Everton. He rifled one home to uh, beat Arsenal and then signed for United as an 18 year old, 25 million at the time, the highest fee ever paid for a player under 20. And then would famously score a hat trick on debut against Fenerbahce. And in my opinion, he's certainly, throughout his career, he was certainly underappreciated. Maybe not so much now, but a legend, not just for United, but one of English football's probably greatest ever products. Yes, hard to argue with that one. Um, I think the only argument people make Rooney is, could he, could he have been better? Like, Could he have been up there with the, the Messi's and Ronaldo's of this world? When you consider, like, people may make the argument that he, that he maybe peaked too early. Like He was playing in that Euro mm. 2004 championship when he was, what, like 17, 18? When he played, yeah. when he played in that, yeah. so... People maybe make the, and obviously not question he was a great player, but obviously he was. But people maybe question sometimes could he have gone on? Did he peak too early? And could he have maybe gone on to to reach the heights that maybe a Messi or Ronaldo did? Certainly not a bad career, regardless. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree with that. All right, I'll let you go ahead then. Right, so I'm gonna go with my obviously my centre forward up front to complete the formation, complete my team, and. Um, he has to be in there. It's um, none other than Robert Lewandowski. Named FIFA Men's Player of the Year. FIFA Men's Player of the Year award last year as well. Uh, he won the Champions League too. And was actually the third highest scorer in the history of the competition. 
as well. Bundesliga all-time leading foreign goal scorer. Poland's record goal scorer. And of course, those five goals in nine minutes against Wolfsburg, which is still the fastest five-goal haul scored in any major European league. Best striker in the world by a distance in my, in my mind. Everything you need to be a top striker. Strength, balance, movement, pace. And score both feet. Just the complete centre forward. No one touches him in my mind. But I'll be honest, whenever I watched him at Windsor Park back in, this was back in a 2010 World Cup qualifier in 2009. It was actually my first ever game at Windsor Park. But I couldn't have told you his name before the game. And I couldn't have told you his name after the game. Because I had no idea who he was. Because at this stage of his career, he was still a relative unknown. He was still playing in Poland with Lech Poznan. So he didn't often really, if note, in that game at all. No signs in that day that he'd go and become what he has, but from what he's done since then, he has to be in the team. Yeah, 100%. Believe it or not, I've also got him in my team. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't see him the same match as yourself. Seen him play again at the Euros 2016, uh, our opening fixture uh, in Nice. He was actually very quiet that day, from what I remember, um, but um, he's not in my team based on the, the performance on the day. Like you said, he's... Um, best striker in the world by a distance I'd echo that not only that but I'd firmly have him as one of the, the best strikers of our generation and even now at, at 34 is even goal scoring statistics are still crazy obviously he leads a Bayern Munich attack which is star studded the likes of Serge Gnabry Leroy Sané um, and he still outperforms them all and he's still the main man there and like you said, he's so so much to his game, not just goal scorer, but technically so good with his the ball at his feet. Um, can slip a player in. His goals aren't just sort of standard tap-ins and not enough words to describe him really. But two hundred eighty Bayern Munich goals now and three hundred twenty-one appearances. He also got one hundred and three and one hundred eighty-seven for Dortmund. Obviously, Poland's all-time top scorer, and not much more that can be said really. Yeah, just the type of player. If he he was in any team, he'll improve it. Just. Sat that good player just lives to score goals but in fairness it was a tough enough choice for me because I've seen Jacko. Jacko was always a great striker I've seen play as well at Windsor Park for Bosnia Suarez you mentioned uh, even Higuain I saw play obviously that was at the latter stage of his career when Sarri brought him on to Chelsea but at certain points in his career as well at Madrid and then particularly at Napoli as well he was a top quality striker too and then even Timo Werner for Germany. I know people say he hasn't the best season this year, but whenever he was at Leipzig, there he was he was on fire, and he's still he's still a player that can come good. And you know, Timmy Adamson as well, also for Dungan Swift scored one of the best hat tricks I've ever seen live against Korea in the Stanmore Park. One of the best overhead kicks in that same game as well I've ever seen live. So you know, it was a tough choice between him and Lewandowski, but I decided to go for the the pool in the end. Yeah, I, I want to give a, a couple of notable mentions myself. I know maybe you put a bit more um, players into your team based on their performance of the day or maybe a few more obscure ones, but one that our, um, our good friend Ross McCracken will uh, echo here is the performance of uh, Gregor's Krasaljak, uh, Northern Ireland against Poland, Euro 2016. And in all honesty, I don't think I've ever seen a better individual performance from a midfielder. The man absolutely bossed it that day is... It's, it's hard to really put into words but he was just so so good he was always like he's picking up every loose ball he's playing passes like so much intent with his passing is so direct with his play and uh, a bit of a monster in midfield as well he's had a bit of a yeah, your, your Krakowiak is my Stankovic yeah very similar yeah um, 
I didn't really have. Oh God, he's, he's played for PSG in his time. He had a, had a spell at West Brom. I believe he's over in Russia at the moment. But yeah, that local model Moscow. Moscow yeah, I think you're right there. But that's one that um, I'll certainly stick out in my mind for a bit of a, bit of a more obscure one. Um, I wanted to touch on maybe a few more players that I'm not doing if you have any here, but I've got a few that were very very close to getting into the team, but just not quite. I'll start off here. I've another. I mean, another United one. I tried very hard not to put him in. Um, Paul Scholes I mean I'll not even go into it too much one of England's best ever midfielders one of United's best ever retired came out of retirement won a league no problem Mohamed Salah having there as well um, he's rejuvenated himself as one of the best players in the world since he's returned to Premier League uh, he'd probably go down as one of Liverpool's greatest ever players due to the sort of instant impact that he had in terms of both goals assists trophies that he's won um, 118 goal contributions in 188 appearances holds a record for the most Premier League goals scored in a 38 game season 32, sorry with 32 I should say, uh, and the day I saw him he was he was typical Salah, he's absolutely dynamite, beats players of ease left foot is so dangerous, like you're just waiting for him to score when he gets the ball on his left foot um, even at the slightest side of goal a couple more we've got Luis Suarez again one of the best strikers of our generation won't go into it too much but um, so good he's obviously had a bit of a controversial career but even now um, moved on to Atletico Madrid yeah, that, that season at Liverpool where they nearly won the league and then just let it slip towards the end that's one of the, that's one of the best individual seasons I've seen from a player in the Premier League he nearly won that league for Liverpool by himself him and Gerrard and he, he took it to another level whenever he moved to Barca obviously you had mentioned him earlier as part of that MSN trio uh, there was one season he outscored Messi and Ronaldo uh, with late goals he got in the 40s incredible and now obviously he's at Atletico Madrid famously let go by Barca in the summer there and now he's spearheading them to what looks like a certain um, La Liga title and then the last player um, before I let you get a word in here another honourable mention has to go to Gerard Piquet amazing yeah, career yeah him as well somebody who was yeah. strongly considering putting in great career obviously part of that iconic Barca team who cleaned up domestically. He's won eight La Ligas, six Copa del Reyes, six Spanish Super Cups, three Champions League, three UEFA Super Cups, three Club World Cups, uh, and then, of course, winning the 2010 World Cup and the 2012 Euros in that, obviously, Spain team, which will likely go down in history as one of the best national team setups of all time for their sheer dominance over that period of about six years. Obviously got the two Euros and the World Cup in between. And many forget he actually won a Premier League and a Champions League whilst at United in the sort of early stages of his career before he returned to Barcelona and another man who his sort of his trophies and also his individual awards say no more like they speak for themselves yeah well you've spoken there about that Spanish national team uh, another player who was integral to that, that Spanish team was Sergio Busquets and absolutely killed me to leave him out of this midfield because he was so integral to that Obviously, that's not only that Spain team, but that prime Guardiola team between 2009-2011, that sort of period. That team's not what it is without Sergio Busquets because everything went through him. Yeah, you have the, the moments of quality from Messi. You know, everybody talks about that, the, where he goes past four or five players and he puts the ball in the back of the net, the, the goals of David Villa. But everything in the midfield went through Busquets. Internet can play with his, his quality in midfield. And yeah, just such an integral part of that Barcelona team. So it was it was difficult to leave him out. 
Um, and then another player. Very underappreciated as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. And then another player, and this was even worse. That had Lee Boy was guess, Eden Hazard. Yeah. I know, of course. Yeah, I like it absolutely killed me to have to leave him out of this team, but because I wanted to go for the individual performance in my court, I went for him. But if it wasn't if it wasn't for that, Hazard would have been in there every single day of the week. Um another player is just privileged to see see play live, along with Messi and Pirlo. Just yeah, unbelievable to see him. I was just lucky I caught him on his last season for Chelsea 2018-19 before he before he moved to Madrid when he was still sort of in his prime just watching that day he could turn turn on the sixpence I've never seen a player turn quicker like just speed of movement he'll just slow the defender down and then just burst past him at pace he was one of the best at doing that so yeah it was it was great to watch him he scored a couple that day didn't he you seen him he scored a penalty and then he scored another one as well so yeah that was Chelsea won 5-0 that day so yeah, it was it was great to see him on form as well because that wasn't really although Chelsea did win the win the Europa League and got Champions League last season, that wasn't really one of Chelsea's best seasons and it wasn't one of Hazard's best seasons either. But it was still great to see him in that final season for Chelsea and one of personally, obviously, because what he done with Chelsea, personally one of my favorite players. Um, and it's just sort of a bit of a shame to see the way it's gone for him at Madrid. Obviously, with injuries amongst other things, it just really hasn't worked out from there. But um, yes, yeah, so that was really, really tough to have to leave him out too. Anyone else you want to touch on before we get to the stage of um, deciding who who goes where in a joint 11? The only real notable matches I have is maybe players that are more up and coming uh, sort of players. Obviously, Frankie De Jong, we saw for that Holland team. He's someone that could, mm. could go on to become a great midfielder in recent years. Obviously, he's, he's a good player now, but. I think he's someone who still has to establish himself. So, uh, yeah, so that's one for the future, just to consider. And then, obviously, as well, uh, De Litt as well, for that, that Holland team. He's someone someone who's obviously immense in that, in that Ajax team in their run to the, the 2019 semi-final. Um, and he's another one for the future, obviously, at Juventus now. And uh, key part of that Holland team, too. So, that's someone else who could go on to become really uh, one of the world's best defenders in years to come so those are just two that, two for the future that maybe some people might include in the team Shall we do a, a joint one then and see see who wins overall or? Yeah, yeah fair enough So right. goalkeeper sorted we both have nowhere. That, that picks itself like nowhere. Yeah. So right back you're that's surely Dallas I'm Joshua Kimmich. Do you know what I'll give you Dallas if you give let me. Give me Dallas. Yeah, I let you. I let you your say in the rest okay. of the back line. Okay. Just give me Sir Dallas and right back, please. Okay. Right. Um, okay. Centre half. We both had Van Dyke. Who was your other one, Giorgio Chiellini? I'm sorry, mate. We're definitely going real Ferdinand there. Like. Fair. I'll give you that. Could you give me Dallas? I'll give you Chiellini. Also give good. me real. Or sorry, I'll give you. I'll give you Ferdinand. Yeah. Okay. And you've got Jordi Alba left back. I had Patrice Evra. Mm, that's a tough enough one. Like. That's a tough one. Maybe come back to that one. Yeah. I'll come right. back. Right, I'm not leaving Pirlo out of this midfield. Okay, okay. Four three three then, because we've got we need to get the midfielders in. Yeah. So Pirlo every day of the week. Pirlo every day. I'm having Tony Cruz every day. Tony Cruz. And the other options were De Bruyne, Stankovic and Kante. <laughs> or are you just gonna are you just gonna forget about all defensive all defensive midfielders in this and just go all out attack in the midfield? This is a midfield of Pirlo. Pierre de Bruyne and the, Cruz. The best form of um, 
at the fence as a tack mate so why not true yeah you know what we'll do that we'll do that so Cruz and the Bruyne I will have Pirlo sitting deep Cruz uh, and then the Bruyne just in front of them yeah. and then I think the front three were fairly set on out left yeah. Ronaldo out right Messi and Lewandowski up Lewandowski. front yeah. yeah that's an easy one like decent definitely then so it's just really left back left back Alba or Evra ah, I'm going to have to go Evra mate Evra uh, I'd say so yeah well mm. Jordi Alba's had a great career but both, for both won Champions League both, well would you, who would you say who would maybe be better defensively is I'd say maybe Evra might have more in, more in his basket defensively yeah. than Alba stock market maybe won it over for him potentially but Jordi Alba undoubtedly better going forward yeah mm, it's a tough one I'll give you Avra. Keep you happy. Avra. Yeah, that's right. A strong enough bench. We mentioned what Salah, Rooney's in there, Suarez, Kante, Gerard Piquet. Not a bad wee team, I think that would do all right, you know? Yeah, I think that team would win a, win a, win a Champions League or a World Cup, you know? Wrap it up there, will we? Yeah, so thanks everyone for listening. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of the podcast for this week. Obviously, we picked our team there, some great names in there. Uh, let us know your thoughts on, on that team. Uh, who would you change if anybody yeah just thanks for listening and hopefully see you again next week